I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to episode 87 of the Cost Report Cast. I'm your host, Trevor Shackles. In this trade deadline recap version of the show, I have with me a fellow Silver 7 Cents colleague, and that is Sean Mullick. Sean, how's it going? Oh, I'm great. How are you doing, Trevor? I'm not bad, not bad. Thanks for coming on. You know, we're just coming off of a pretty impressive 4-2 win over the Winnipeg Jets today, and there's also just lots to talk about regarding the trade deadline. Um, but, you know, kind of before the show started, you were just sort of mentioning something interesting about how much better it is to record after a win. So I'm curious to to hear your thoughts on that. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm feeling great right now because I just watched, I think, what was our best performance of the entire season. I just, I mean, just everything was, was good. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. their power play, Winnipeg's power play was, you know, really tough to handle at times. But aside from that, they just dominated at five on five play. So I just, just there's nothing really to complain about. I would say hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, I feel like the it's just a lot more fun to record a podcast. Record a podcast, I should say, after this. So now, yeah, now I I wanted to get into the trade deadline though. There obviously wasn't nearly as much dead. Um, sorry, deadline. There wasn't as, nearly as much action as the previous three deadlines. So I thought we could talk about all of Ottawa's recent moves, though, and those were three trades. And I guess we can start with the biggest one, I guess you could say, which was Mike Riley to Boston for a 2022 third-round pick. So do you think the Senators did the right thing here, or were you hoping for him to stay? I think I would have been okay with them keeping him and signing him or trading him. I think um, with the trade, it was a good deal, getting a third-round pick for him. There were some analytics out there that said he was um, better than a third-round pick. But I think the way GMs value the kind of players, it was sort of like a Dylan DeMello situation last year. I feel like, yeah, I don't understand still why Pierre Dorian traded Dylan DeMello for a third-round pick. But at the same time, um, I understand that, I guess, his value around the league um, was a third round pick when you could see like in that same deadline Andy Green went to the Islanders for a, for a second round pick and that's just because he's kind of forged a I think there were multiple second round picks being... were they multiple I think so maybe not multiple seconds but I'm pretty sure there were multiple picks which is insane mm. well either way uh, significantly more than what Ottawa got for DeMello and I think that's just mm-hmm. people overpay for for uh reputations i guess like um like it's not really a sense trade uh today but i think sam bennett went for a second round pick and a decent prospect and you know mm-hmm. fourth overall pick in 2014 i think and i that's kind of and you know he's he scored lots in the playoffs whenever they've like, flames have made it so um 
But I've, I've rambled on those things for a while. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, but, it's okay. No, it's... no but I, th- I think I think the Riley trade was good because Ottawa's getting a third-round pick, and they would have to look for someone to take his place because Sanderson is um, Jake Sanderson is returning to UND for a sophomore year, and even if he wasn't, I wouldn't, you know. Uh, put him in the second pair right away if he came over. So they'd have right. to put someone in the second pair. So, um, and there's a lot of options this off season. Whether they go back to Victor Mete or or um, look for someone by trade or for agency, I think they made the right move with Riley. Yeah, long and I think. Story sorry, what was that? No, it's long story short. No, I kind of dragged out the explanation there, but um... <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. Now. Yeah, I think I'm kind of in the same boat. I think I totally would have been fine with him staying too if it was only for one or two years because I think beyond that, then you're you're just kind of shooting yourself in the foot because as you say, you're going to have a guy like Sanderson coming not next season, but the season after that. Um, You know, Branstrom's obviously on that left side as well. So it kind of depends what his his ask was. And I'd be very, very curious to know. Um, But, you know, as, as you mentioned as well, despite his, you know, underlying numbers being very solid this year and like, you know, some of the best in the league, his reputation around the league isn't going to be that amazing. Um, So, you know, the fact that Boston could get him for a third round pick, I think is pretty good business for them. Still at the same time, I think it's, yeah, right. Like they, I mean, I don't know if, did you see their AHL defenseman lineup the other night? I think I didn't remember it exactly, but like they had uh, Zboril on the second pair, and I was like, yeah. Yeah, "This isn't going to end well." Yeah, so. it. There was a couple of guys I've like legitimately never heard of. Um, so I mean, I think an interesting question too is, what would you have been comfortable paying him in terms of both term and annual average value? Well, because he was a left shot defenseman, and senators have. Branstrom and Sanderson waiting in the wings. I wouldn't have given him more than two years. I think with the cap hit, I would have been a bit more willing to to meet an ask of anywhere north of three million and under four million. I would say that might be a bit much, but mm-hmm. if if it's a short term deal, I don't think it matters too much. Yeah, and I think I think they could probably have done a deal like that. I mean. You know, they had a guy like Eric Branson on the books this year. Obviously, not anymore, and we'll get to that later. But, you know, they're going to have some of that money available. So I guess they weren't really comfortable paying that. Or who knows? Maybe even he was asking for even less. But, um, yeah, I think it was a good return. And I think it's it's important to note, too, that, you know, he's 28 years old. I wouldn't be surprised if this was his best season, right? And, like... You know, because in previous seasons, he wasn't really that effective. He was kind of like a sixth, seventh defenseman and like, you know, not a fantastic one at that. So I think it's a tidy piece of business, you know, trading a fifth for him and then getting a third round pick in return. Like, you know, it's not earth shattering or anything, but I think it's a solid deal. And I think we would probably both agree on that. Yeah, I mean, you give up a fifth for him and you get a third back. Um, and I think the biggest part about the Riley deal is that they got him in the first place because uh, they played Branstrom last season for a while and decided to send him down and they needed someone to take his place. And mm-hmm. Riley, he did a good job for someone that's been a, a third pairing defenseman his whole career. He was playing with um, 
played with Nikita Zaitsev on the second pair, and he he didn't uh, Zaitsev wasn't actually that bad when paired with Riley. I think I don't know his exact numbers, but his possession numbers were better with um, Riley than they were with um, Shabbat and um, Borietsky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you know Riley pretty much did exactly what he asked of him. I, I would say so. You know, good luck to him. He's obviously on a on a much better team now, and yeah, I'd say solid piece of business for Dorian. Now, the second trade made on Sunday, which was, I think it was pretty pretty soon after, maybe only like an hour after that or so. Yeah, that was Braden Coburn to the Islanders for a twenty twenty two seventh rounder. I'm not sure how much we can say about this one, but any strong opinions either way? Well, not really. I mean, I expected some team to make a trade for Coburn just because he is NHL depth and he was on a cup winning team last season. He only played three games. So, yeah. you know, a team acquiring Coburn uh, wouldn't expect to play him all that much, but it, it, it's good to have someone like him as an injury replacement player. So I wasn't sure how much Ottawa was going to get. I think a seventh round pick is a perfectly fine return. I wasn't expecting anything higher. Oh yeah. I I think I had been saying all along, like I'll be perfectly happy with any sort of draft pick. Right. Um, And as you mentioned, he has that pedigree, I guess, you know, obviously Coburn was a fantastic player earlier on in his career. He's certainly not that anymore. I mean, he's 36 years old. Mm-hmm. But I guess that sort of cachet of winning a Stanley Cup, you know, carries a lot of, you know, sort of creates this legacy, I guess. And hopefully he did bring some wisdom to the room for this young Senators team. So, like, who knows? He he might have actually had a positive impact on them, like, moving forward. But, you know, he, he obviously wasn't worthy of staying in, in the Senators lineup. And I think probably COVID made this deal more likely because they were, you know, guys or teams, I should say, were more worried about losing players to COVID or, or injuries or whatever, you know, so maybe they want that eighth or even ninth defenseman. So, yeah, I mean, I'm curious what you think of this. Like, do you think DJ actually liked Braden Coburn or do you think he actually liked the idea of him as this dependable veteran? I think he... um I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, you never know what the GM and the coach are thinking. Do they want to play uh, Coburn because they want to showcase him for a trade or are they playing him because they right. legitimately think he's their best shot on that third pair? Um, but I think um, if they didn't trade him, DJ would lean towards at least, you know, rotating him in and out with um, with whoever. I think... Obviously, trading him, there's no one left to take a spot now, but they claimed Mete, which is great. Um, I, 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 I don't know, to be honest. I think... Um, I mean, I think DJ liked Braden Cooper. Yeah, and, and I think it's... That's kind of frustrating for a lot of people because, you know, we just saw him... I think he only played... You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was only like 15 games or something, but... Man, it just felt like so much more, especially when, you know, he was taking Eric Brandstrom or even Christian Willannon out of the lineup. Yeah. It was just a lot more frustrating to see that because, you know, you look at the results, even the eye test it wasn't as if, you know, he was exactly winning all these puck battles and stuff. So it was certainly a bit frustrating, but 
yeah, any any final other thoughts on the illustrious um, great Braden Coburn tenure in Ottawa? I mean, I, uh, yeah, um, I think the original trade to bring him in made sense, I would say, because, 100%, yeah. I mean, it, it did kind of add to the overarching problem of there being too many one-way contracts on the team. But I think well, when you had um, Shabbat, Wolanin, Riley, and Branstrom on the left side, um, would there be um, enough room for Coburn? I think they, uh, I think they still played him a bit too much. But I mean, having him as an option in exchange for taking off Paquette as well, getting a second round pick, that was a good trade. Um, and I think the most valuable spot thing they gained from trading Coburn was um, the uh, the roster space. Certainly, and I think we, you know, we'll go over that a bit later, getting into Victor Mete. But, you know, as you say, bringing in that second round pick, I think Doran did a great job in terms of asset management by, you know, all he had to do was move, what, Nielsen and Gabrick, which, you know, that was dead money anyway, you know, and he, he pretty much got Dezingle a second and a seventh for free by just taking on Paquette and, and Coburn. So overall, like, I'll certainly still take that. Like, how amazing would it have been? I know I'm like, saying this because i'm like it's like as if i'm complaining about stuff but like how amazing would it have been <laughs> had they he makes the trade and then instead of that trade on its own it's a three-way trade where he immediately flips paquette to the carolina yeah. hurricanes for a single <laughs> i think they would do that because it's cap relief for the hurricanes and ottawa gets a their leading scorer from 2018 literally their leading goal scorer is that true they, I think he beat Hoffman by one goal wow. in 2018. <laughs> That's hilarious. Wow. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it would have it would have saved a lot of frustrations, I guess, from the fan base watching both Paquette and, and Coburn, even if it was just, you know, 50, 10 to 15 games for each of them. But yeah, certainly I think another, out of the first two deals, I think he, you know, Doran did a great job with those ones. Now, the third and final move Dorian made before the deadline, in regards to trades, I should say, was sending Eric Branson to Nashville for AHLer Brandon Fortunato and a 2023 seventh round pick. What do you make of Goodbranson's tenure in Ottawa and the trade return for him? I think he was basically Braden Coburn, but he played more on the right side. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's ha he had some good performances, but overall, I think he he hurt the Senators on ice numbers more than he helped. Obviously plus minus wasn't very good and his uh, shot metrics weren't good either. So just um, overall, I think, I mean, I, I wasn't expecting him to do very good because he's been putting up these similar numbers on teams like the um, Panthers, Canucks, Penguins, Penguins Ducks. Yeah. Ducks, yeah. <laughs> And um, I don't know if the Predators are going to use him very much, but again, it's it's like the Islanders that get some more insurance because I I think if you, if you, if your team gets enough injuries, I think there's a point where you'll be happy to have good Branson just for if you have enough injuries, then you'll have a reason to put him in the lineup. And I, I think there yeah. there are worse defensemen out there. 
for sure which is you know just a ringing endorsement of of your know. you know former alternate <laughs> like, captain but putting in someone that's played like that's played like a half a season in the ahl like he's the only person you have left I mean, yeah well you, you know you end up with your boston situation right so mm-hmm. you know i i can totally understand that and i think you know we see a lot of times where bringing it back to a senator specific example where i think what was it game five i guess yeah game five in uh, against the rangers in 2017 where you know ottawa brings in chris neal because they need that tough element so like teams do this a lot where okay we're losing you know we need to bring in the tough guy i don't necessarily agree with that sort of um strategy but teams do it and you know i i guarantee that good branson is gonna get some ice time because of that but i i should say too i you know i've seen just during his tenure in Vancouver, uh, obviously, like, just being closer to, to him and, and all that, I've seen that he is a great person, and, like, I, I do wish him all the best, especially since his wife just had a baby. So I, I'm happy for them, and, and, you know, I can't say anything bad in that regard. But I, similar to Coburn, I'm definitely happy to not have to watch him every single game. Yeah, agree. Like, 100% uh, agree with him being, um you know, just a stand-up guy, I guess. Yeah, and um, I I hope that he was okay with being moved to, to Nashville. I, yeah. I mean, I know it's tough because, but again, Pierre Dorian wants to create space on his roster for younger players, and like ultimately, I mean, trading him was the right move. I just hope they. I just hope Good Branson is. And his family are going to be all right is what I'm, I guess I'm getting at because I just, yeah. um, there's the human aspect of it, right. Too. Like you have yeah. to, you have to think of that. And we kind of talked about that earlier in the season with Derek Stepan. Obviously he didn't end up getting traded because of his injury, but he was in a similar situation where, you know, his wife just had a baby and, you know, he sort of wanted to go back home into the States. So it's a tough situation. Um, but yeah, now, now something that is very interesting about this trade too, and the other two, I should say, like, what do you think about the fact that all three of these picks they acquired were either 2022 or 2023 draft picks? Well, yeah, two of them were 22, and I think the good Branson one was 23. Yeah. Um, I like how they're pushing the picks back a few years, and it's not only because there's kind of a weird energy about the 21 draft it's it's as in people are kind of underplaying or downplaying the strength of this class i think because we had a really really good uh draft a really uh hyped draft in 2020 and yeah. you know there's a lot less buzz about it now and with the pandemic causing a bit of you know confusion around when the draft is going to happen and players are playing in different leagues but aside from that um you, you never want to have a situation where there's like too many prospects at once. I think having a lot of picks in 2022 is going to help them because eventually, uh, I mean, not all these prospects they have are going to pan out. And even the ones that do, they're not going to be able to keep all of them. And it's not just because they're they're a budget team. It's because like, generally speaking, um, there's going to be limited spots available. And sometimes you can't, control that i know rudolph balsers is playing really well in san jose right now 
Um, that kind of sucks, but um, I mean, ultimately, there was a lot of the sense that a lot of players in in, in that situation. I think they could have managed their team a, a bit better and kept him, but I I do think they have um. I don't think they're gonna be. I don't think they're gonna. If this doesn't pan out for them, if the rebuild doesn't work out, it's not going to be because they lost bolsters on waivers to San Jose. That's what I'm going to say. For sure. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and just coming back to your, your point about staggering the draft picks and all that. So for 2022... They now have their own first. They have two seconds, two thirds, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, and three seventh. So that's mm. 11 picks, which, you know, if they get maybe another first, which is unlikely, you know, that would rival their 2020 draft. Um, it's unlikely to get there, obviously, because they're not going to have two top five picks or anything. But as you say, like, it's not necessarily the best thing to have everyone come up at the exact same time. And like, you're going to run out of room. So, but, but also at the same time, like I'm curious about this 2021 draft, just because I feel like there's going to be guys that, you know, maybe in a normal year, if you get to play 50, 60 games, they would go in the first, second round, but maybe because they've only played 10, 15 games, 20 games, whatever, maybe they fall into the fourth or fifth or something. And, you know, Ottawa, they, so they have a first, two seconds, a third, a sixth, and a seventh. So nothing in the fourth and fifth. So, you know, a lot of their best picks have been right in that middle range in that fourth, fifth round. So, you know, I bet you we see a couple more hidden gems than normal in there. So I am a bit intrigued that maybe they just didn't feel that confident that they, you know, were, were able to find some of those hidden gems, I guess, just because the lack of viewing. Well, yeah, I think you're right about that. There are going to be a lot of players in that range that, that the Senators could draft if they had fourth and fifth round picks. I, uh, though I do think they're more comfortable with getting the 2021 draft or the 22 draft. Mm-hmm. And I think they're still going to get some good players here. I mean, it's not like these players aren't going to be good. There's going to be a lot of good players in the first and second round here. And, you know, we have a... It, it, it's a top five pick. A top five pick in any yeah. class is going to be, uh, you're expecting them to be, a, at the very least, a top six or top four a player. For sure, yeah. You're looking at someone like Matt Beneers, maybe Owen Power, Brant Clark, uh, Dylan Gunther is one of my favorites. So they should be getting a solid player. Probably not like an elite guy, which is, is too bad, but, you know, someone that they can definitely add to that core. And... Coming back to defensemen now, I, I just wanted to ask, I feel like they'll want to replace Goodbranson's role with someone physical because, you know, they love their sort of tough defenseman on that third pairing. Yeah. Do you have anyone in mind for that? Or is that kind of, you haven't really given that too much thought yet? 
In terms of specific options that are um, available, I think if they need another left shot defenseman, just because um, they might need a depth player, uh, I think Derek Forbert might be a good option. He's a he's a big physical defenseman. I think he's one of the better um, third pair uh, guys in the league as someone that can just play well defensively. And I think he can bring some of what Branson uh, had. And I think his metrics will be better than Goodbranson because he's, you know, done better with uh, I think he was on Yeah, he signed with the uh Jets this season after Calgary and LA before. I think he had some good results there. So mm-hmm. But I mean we have Josh Brown for another year and he's a physical defenseman too. That's true. Yeah. And I don't think they need too many guys. I think um I mean, he was the only real physical defender that was playing tonight for Ottawa, and um, I he wasn't bad. He was pretty good, but I think everyone else was better. Yeah, and I think, like, they're kind of... They really like their role, so I, I'd worry a bit that they would overuse Brown, potentially. Some right-shot D that I was looking at just on the free agent market were, you know, Michael Stone, Kevin Miller... Um, David Savard and Adam Larson. I think Savard and Larson would probably be out of their price range, but it's pretty thin on the right side. Like unless you're getting Dougie Hamilton or something, which is not, you know, the the prototype that they're looking for anyway. So it's. I mean, they yeah, can be one year eight million, just like with Taylor. Oh, Moore. do it! <laughs> I'm all for it. someone. Uh, I forget. It might have been was it Steve on Sens? Sorry if I'm misattributing this, but someone on Twitter um, was saying that. Ottawa has the highest amount of museums per capita or whatever, like, you know, cause <laughs> uh, Hamilton loves going to museums. So that's a selling point. We got to, you know, anything to get him here. But yeah, I am worried about the right side still. I mean, I think Bernard Docker is going to be a top four player. And I think he can play on a top pair if he's got a really good partner with him, like Shabbat or Sanderson. Um, it's like with Dylan DeMello, um, he was never a top pairing guy, but he could play on the top pair if he's got a really good partner right. with him. And I think Bernard Docker is that same guy with a bit of a, or a much higher offensive ceiling, I would say. And when I say much higher, I mean, I don't mean like a 50 point guy. I mean, a 30 point player, potentially 40. Get some of those secondary assists with uh, Shabbat and Sanderson. But, mm-hmm. um, and Artem Zub has been really good as well. And Zub has looked fantastic. I think they might be able to get away with Zaitsev on the third pair. I, I, I just think they need to lower his minutes. I, 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 I don't think he'd be... I think he'd be all right if they just dropped his minutes down to below 20. Like somewhere between like 17, 19 would be ideal. Yeah, I think... You know, you saw it even with Cody Cece this year in Pittsburgh. He's actually been not bad. That's because his, you know, he's been more sheltered and, um, you know, isn't going to be a super impactful player, but... I think if Ottawa wants to actually compete next year, you kind of have to have Zaitsev lower in the lineup. Yeah. Now, I was actually going to get to like JBD and Pinto a bit later, but because we were kind of on him now, we might as well talk about it. So um, I guess let's start with JBD. So like last episode when we recorded, that was I think like a day or two before both of them had signed. And they didn't play tonight because I think it was their first practice today. So hopefully they're going to play next game. But starting with JBD then, 
what do you expect from him this season and then moving forward? Well, I think JBD has played, what, now three years in the um, North Dakota program. So I think he's, um, you could say that's equivalent to playing two years in the, like in a CHL and then one year in the AHL. Like it's still his, uh, this will be his, this is his third year after being drafted. So I think there's a good chance he comes in right away and at least is serviceable. I think no matter who they play with on the left side, because I like all three of Ottawa's defensemen on the left side, I think whoever he plays with, he'll, I think he'll do a pretty good job. Because he's just a well-rounded player. I mean, I, th- I think his offense is underrated because it's, it's simple, but the simple doesn't mean bad. I mean, this one thing he likes to do at the point is where he just um, fakes a shot, kind of steps around the, the shot blocker, and just, and he just, um, his wrist shot is pretty quick. I've seen it a couple times. I didn't see it as much this season because I don't think he scored as much, uh, as many goals this season as last year, but I've seen his highlight packs and I think he's going to be, um, I think he's going to be a pretty good offensive player and a solid defensive player. Mm-hmm. And I think if he does reach that ceiling, that is absolutely massive for them because to me, that's their biggest hole is on the right side. Like you could also say goaltending too, but they at least have some options there and, you know, Decord or Gustafson or Mandelays or whoever could turn into that starter mm-hmm. on the right side. It's a lot more thin unless you, you know, you have Artem Zub now. But I think Bernard Docker is probably one of the few ones who could actually play on that top pairing, as you were alluding to earlier. So, I don't know. I mean, are you thinking he could maybe be like Dylan DeMello, but with the offense? Uh, Dylan DeMello with some more offense, I think. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I think that would be huge. So... Now moving on to Shane Pinto, same question for him. Like, are you expecting similar production from him out of the gate? And then also just like, what are you expecting moving forward? I think if you compare him to Josh Norris, who played two years in college, one in the AHL, and now he's producing like a second to third line center. I think Pinto, I think his production is was better than Norris's. And I think this season... I just think he's a good defensive player and I think he can step into the NHL a bit more easily than some others. I don't know if he's going to produce this season. I don't know if he's going to produce a lot of points next season either, but I think he's going to be, I think he can be a, a serviceable third liner right away. And I think Ottawa would certainly take that. I have to agree. Like he was, I think he was named, top defensive player in the conference or something too, like along with top offensive. So, you know, this is a guy who also can make a nominee as well. Exactly. Yeah. He, he was, I don't know if they released the results, if he was second or third, but either way, he was a finalist. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think he could be similar to Norris to that, to that effect. Like Norris has been very solid defensively as well. So, I don't know what's interesting to me about Pinto and exciting is that every single season he's taking these massive steps, right? Like everyone talks about how he didn't really start playing top, top hockey until he was 15 years old. Mm -hmm. And, you know, every single year since his draft year to his draft plus one draft plus two, he's just getting better and better. So like, who knows, like maybe he ends up being even better than Norris and, 
is like, you know, a, a 1B kind of center or something like that? I think it can definitely be um, that a, a top center for them. Uh, not necessarily a top center like some of the others around the league, but um, I think the Senators just have some really skilled wingers, what with Stutzel and Batherson. And I think if you slide Pinto between Stutzel and Batherson, that can be a top line. Because Stutzel is going to, I mean, if he projects as a first line winger, and I, I, I just think Pinto knows where to score goals, and Stutzel can distribute the puck really well, or he'll be able to. I mean, he already does now, but I think that's going to keep improving as he, uh, you know, as he gets older and more experienced. Mm-hmm. And I think Pinto, you don't see him scoring a lot off the rush while we're seeing him. Like he's, I think he's most of his goals have been like deflections, rebounds, um, and just getting open for one timers in the offensive zone. He's got a really good shot. I don't think it's an elite shot, but I think it's a it's a really good shot that should get him a lot of goals if he plays with a skilled playmaker. Yeah, I think that proposed line of, you know, Stutzler, Pinto, Batherson, that could be pretty electric. And, you know, Nate on from Silver 7, he was proposing that, what was it? Um, Formanton, Pinto, and Brown as a third line too, which just to begin with, you know, to start his career, I think that could be electric on that third line. Just, you know, three really solid defensive forwards. I think that could be a lot of fun. So honestly, I think there's so many different cool combinations they could start out with. And what's fantastic is that it seems like they're just way less dead weight on this roster. Don't you think? Well, after the deadline? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. It just seems like a lot more, a lot more fun to watch. So um, now, now one player I want to get back to also was... Pierre Dorian and the Senators making a claim for former Canadians left-handed defenseman Victor Mete. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing that a lot of people were clamoring for on Sunday. You know, I think a lot of people were saying, okay, trade Coburn and claim Mete. That's exactly what they did. Everybody so, wanted, so yeah, everybody wanted Mete claim that I was just yeah. preparing for like, okay, they're not going to claim him. And then Senators is going to implode on itself again. And then <laughs> it's like, no, they claimed him. I'm like, yes, I'm so happy. Yeah, it was it was crazy. So I mean, well, that sort of answers your question already. But like, yeah, did you see that as as a possibility? And just what are your thoughts overall on the pickup? Well, I know we're all gonna say like, oh, he's five foot nine. Pierre is never gonna claim him. But um, I mean, he did trade for Eric Brandstrom, so it's not like he's averse to acquiring a defenseman like that. Yeah, and they needed someone. They're not gonna throw all Allsing in there or, or Aspera, even though I think. I kind of have a soft spot for, you know, a player that um, gets undrafted and, and, you know, works his way to earning an entry-level deal. But at the same time, we needed someone on that bottom pair. And Mete is the perfect addition for that because he could be their second-pair guy next season if it's Brandstrom. Or if it's not Brandstrom, it'll be Victor Mete potentially. Just Shabbat, Mete, and Brandstrom. I think I think what he played not even 10 minutes to today against... Um, against Winnipeg yeah. I mean I'm okay with that for his first game but I, I'd i hope to see a lot more ice time for him by the end of the season just if he keeps playing the way he, he's been because he's been really good certainly yeah he's a guy that has some upside I wouldn't say like a ton of upside but even if he's on like on your third pairing I think that's solid 
I think the fact that he is 5'9", that probably does hurt his long-term prospects of staying on Ottawa just because they have Brandstrom as well. But, you know, it's a, it's, it's a worthwhile pickup. He's an RFA in the summer. And even just looking at, like, the expansion draft, Shabbat's pretty much, like, the only guy worth protecting because Brandstrom is exempt. And then, yeah. you know, you could protect Mete as well. And you still have a, a third can... spot if you want to get someone else, too. Yeah, I mean, they have, uh, let's say Mete plays really well. You protect both of them, and you don't need to protect anyone else. So that could be a situation where you could acquire a right shot defenseman that a team could lose for nothing. 100%. Matt uh, Dumba. Like Matt Dumba, I think. I don't see the sense going after him because he's on a like a backloaded contract. He's got like seven point four million next year, so I don't see that, that happening for them. But there could be others in the same scenario. Hundred percent, yeah. There's Colorado is definitely in that situation now. Maybe they end up, um, you know, working out some deal with Seattle so mm-hmm. that they can keep all of them or something. But yeah, it's gonna be. I tough forget. For... It's gonna no, be go tough for Colorado because they've got. I have to assume they're going to protect Kel McCarr, Sam Gerrard, and Devon Taves. And Johnson has a no-move clause. Johnson has a no-move clause. So yeah, I think I, I think they'll be fine. They'll protect those four defensemen. I think they'd rather not protect Johnson because he's got a pretty high cap hit for the next few years. But I think if they have to protect him and they go with four forwards, um, McKinnon, Rantanen, um, and Landis Cog is a pending UFA, so they might not bring him back. If they do, they'd protect mm-hmm. him. But then there's Burakovsky and Kadri. I don't even know so much about this because I've been running the expansion draft simulator so much. No, oh, it's so fun. <laughs> but I think in that situation, uh, the Avalanche are going to be okay to just lose someone like Ryan Graves on the back end. Who's good. I mean, they're going to have to be. He's expendable. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting to think about. And I think... It's a perfect pickup in the sense that there's literally no risk and there's only upside with this. You know, who knows how much DJ is going to like him and, you know, Mete's got to hold up his end of the bargain as well. Yeah. But, like, do you think Brandstrom will ever get put on his right side if, let's say, Sanderson is on that side and then Mete is also on there? Like, do you see Brandstrom potentially going to his preferred side? Well, I, I think uh, I'm not sure why they haven't tried him on the right side yet, but um, <laughs> they haven't done it yet. I see little reason why they would in the future. If they do have Sanderson, Branstrom, and Mete, assuming Mete and Branstrom have panned out and they're playing really good hockey, well, then I think they consider moving one of them to the right side just out of necessity. Um, but I think it's more likely they try to trade one of them to potentially address another hole in their roster. Because I don't know. I mean, the right wing, that's what I'm a little... I mean, I'm I'm, I'm happy with it, but I'm not like... I'm not sure if they can really be a... It's not where it needs to be yet, I think. Though, I mean, Connor Brown has scored in eight straight games. <laughs> he could be insane. our first line right winger with Kachuk and Norris and then... That Stutzel, Pinnell, Batherson line. That could be your top six. You never know. Yeah, exactly. I I definitely agree with the right wing. It's the perfect time for Brown to be doing this too because he's got two more years after this. He's not a pending UFA. So it's like... Yes, thank God. (laughs) 
And if God forbid they still can't make the playoffs after that uh, two years, then you know what? Get a call for him at the deadline. I mean, but we're thinking that's way true. Ahead. I mean, yeah, they definitely got to try to make a push over the next couple seasons. And mm-hmm. you know, while these guys are still on cheap contracts or yeah. cheaper, at least for some of them, and that's because I think we talked earlier about staggering out the picks, and I think that's just to make yeah. sure there's young players coming in to the roster uh, consistently. You don't want to have a spot where there's no one coming in because I don't think they're going to be able to, um, because they kind of struggle to re-sign some of their pending UFAs. Like, like it, it, if the Sens are in the playoffs next season, I don't see them bringing back Nick Paul, for example, because he's a great player, but I just don't know if they're going to re-sign a pending UFA at, I'm assuming he's going to command some sort of raise. And I think if the Sens have players like Angus Crookshank and Parker Kelly, that they can just put in that spot. Like, I love Nick Paul, but I mean, if he's a pending UFA, that makes him harder to bring back. That's true. It's a good point. I mean, not something I want to have to think about because Paul has just looked so good, even though he hasn't, you know, it's not like he's putting up massive point totals, but he just looks like a perfect bottom six player. Oh, yeah. Like you saw him kick the puck out of the zone against, you know, that was yeah. a power, power play. Yeah, that was great. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, anyway, though, so the last section I wanted to get here was a couple uh, listener questions. So you can follow the podcast um, Twitter account at CP Pointcast. So we've got a few here. First one comes in from front of the show, That Hockey Lass. And she says, out of context, in a vacuum, how do you think PD did this deadline? And then it says, uh, in context, i.e. the fact that he's had to clean up his own mess, how do you think PD did? Well, I think he did a fantastic job cleaning up his mess. I think he did a great job with that. (laughs) I mean, yeah, in a vacuum, the Riley trade is, I think, as good as you could expect in terms of the return. And the same thing goes for Coburn and Goodbranson. I know you give up a fifth for good Branson, but I mean, getting a seventh and losing a fifth, it's, it's, it's not the biggest thing. I mean, I, I think relatively yeah. speaking, the player you get with a fifth and the player you get with a seventh, it's not that likely that either one is going to be a, there's not going to be much of a difference between those two. 100%. Yeah. Next one comes in from Ken Mason. He says, would Ottawa have been better without any of the off-season additions this past year, including Dadanov, or are the net returns for Goodbranson, Coburn, Paquette, et al. worth blocking worth blocking Formanton, Branstrom, and others from playing full-time all season? Well, I think Formanton's played, I think, only eight games in the AHL, and he's already looking like uh, he was NHL-ready at the start. So I think, um, I, mean, I feel like it would have been better to keep these spots open for guys like Valsers and Schlappick. I know, um, I'm not sure what happened with Schlappick. They had to terminate his contract yeah. because he, um, I'm not sure if it was because he wasn't playing in the NHL or he'd prefer to play in Europe than in the AHL. But um, I just think that, just to go off on a tangent here, one thing I really liked the Senators, what they did last season, was they didn't crowd their roster, I think, the same way they did this year. They traded force players after they made the decision to send guys down. Like, they had Bathurst make the team out of camp. And when they didn't think he was ready, they traded for Nemesnikov. And I know people will say that, okay, you gave up a fourth for him and you, uh, you, you got a worse fourth rounder back, but... I think it's worth it when you 
can keep someone in that spot and let Batherson develop in the minors. I think we would have seen it's the same thing with Mike Riley and Eric Randstrom. Um, but I think this season they just acquired too many players. And I think I see the reason why they did it because it's it might have been harder to because of um with with the pandemic it, like I think we were talking at the beginning how it was um going to be more teams were going to be needing more depth pieces so maybe Ottawa gets a lot of these guys at the start and then let's trade them for picks later on because I mean I think for Coburn you got him for free and you got a second for taking on his contract and you flip him for a for a seventh and then you give a Paquette for Dezingle, which I think is a good move because I mean Dezingle played really well, and even if they don't, even if they didn't trade him, didn't even if they don't re-sign him, I, I, I'm still happy he got to play in Ottawa for a few more games. For sure, and I think that you know if they had moved Paquette and Coburn right away, I think people would have been even more on board with the trade. I think for the most part, people can see the bigger picture and see that they gained you know Dezingle and two picks for free, so. Overall, that was worth it. But, you know, some of them, like, some of the other spots that they just handed to these veterans probably weren't worth it. But Mm -hmm. um, next one comes in from Tate Fraser. He says, and we kind of talked about this already, but he says, do you think Victor Mete has a future in Ottawa or will he just be a stopgap? And then also follow up, what is the best case scenario for Ottawa's blue line going into next season? Well, regarding Mete, I think I've already said that He's had a good start with this game against Winnipeg, and I think the Sens are going to resign him regardless. Whether they'll, because he's an RFA, he won't cost much to bring back. They may end up deploying him as a depth defender. They may bring in someone else on the left side um, to play with uh, Shabbat and, or rather, in between Shabbat and Brandstrom. But I think if Mete has a good audition, they'll consider keeping him as the second or third pair, and they might bring in a a smaller name as a depth piece on the left side. On the right side, I think you've got, well, Bernard Docker, Zub, and Zaitsev in, in no particular order. If Realistically, I try to find a way to move Zaitsev, but I don't see that happening. Because this contract is, you know, I mean, every contract is tradable. I just, I don't think uh, it's going to happen with Zaitsev's contract uh, this offseason. And I think they'll be okay with him on the third pair. They just have to manage his minutes. I mean, already we're seeing improvements just by having some of the better defensemen in the lineup. So I think, I mean, it's, it's, it's one game. But I think if Ottawa has something like Shabbat with Zub, Brandstrom with Bernard Docker, and Mete with Zaitsev, I think uh, they'll have to bring in one more guy on the left side just as some insurance along with Josh Brown. But... I don't think that's a bad defense core. I think it's. I think if the Sens make the playoffs next season, it's going to be carried by their offense and potentially a stellar performance in net by either Decord or Gustafson or Murray. You never know if he bounces back. But I think that defense is going to be all right. Not great, but they could compete with it, is what I'll say. For sure. And I think it certainly depends on how good a guy like Jacob Bernard Docker is. So I agree though. I think that that decor that you outlined certainly would have some potential. Next one comes in from Robert Lennox. He's got a few, but we'll just go over one or two of them. 
Um, first one, he says, is Pierre Dorian making the 2023 seventh acquired for Erica Branson or a new GM? So he's pretty much saying, is there going to be a new GM before 2023? Yeah. Um, I mean, Dorian's had, um, he's missed the playoffs a lot with this team and they, <laughs> they announced early on in his tenure that, okay, we're going to, we're going to rebuild. It's going to take a while to get better. So I think if the Senators don't make, let's say, eight teams in the in the Atlantic, let's say if they don't finish, they finish below fifth in the Atlantic division, I think he gets canned. I could see that. I could see that. I mean, expectations are going to be higher. Like, I think if they aren't at least close or like, you know, in the race by the deadline or something, people aren't going to, aren't going to be happy with that. So, I mean, there's lots of promise, but at some point there has to be actual improvement on the ice. And hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to jump the gun because this game was so good. It was the best game I think <laughs> all season, but I mean, it's got temporary expectations. Can they put this kind of performance together consistently? To round out the year i don't care if our draft position drops a few spots i want to see the team go on a what, like a 10 game winning streak and finish two points behind montreal for the playoffs like i, I don't mind that i just want to see some wins i mean that would yeah that would give us some hope for next season he had one up well, we had two other questions but we'll get to one of them so would you have tried to move dadanov at the deadline hmm Yes, I would have tried to move him at the deadline. And if I had gotten something of value, I mean, like he was a free agent. So he didn't give up anything to get him. So, I mean, it, it hasn't worked out this first year. I mean, he, he got a goal tonight. But overall, he, um, I mean, okay. His, his points look bad, but he's still on a 20-goal pace despite having a supporting cast that would be no offense to Kachuk, Norris, and Batherson. The supporting cast isn't as good as Huberto and, and Barkov and um and some of the other guys they had in Florida. So um I think he's been fine, but I don't want to have to think about that contract. I think it has a potential of being a little bit rough in the last in the last year, especially, six and a half mil. So if they like I would even consider exposing him for the expansion draft. Look for another option on the right wing. Um, I mean, some would disagree with me there, but I mean, I don't think you can go wrong keeping him around or if they can move him, moving him. I think, I mean, it, it, it's hard to say because he's, he hasn't been terrible. I mean, he, he's been he's been all right, but like, it's not $5 million. It's, it's disappointing because... You know, I was so high on the signing coming into the season. You know, you rarely saw Ottawa spend money like this on a free agent. I think it's so, come full circle since Kovalev. Yeah, it, it's true. Two Russian, four, it's the exact same cap hit, I think. Three-year deal at $5 million per. Yeah. Like other people didn't like the Kovalev sign. I mean, it didn't really turn out the best, but... Gonchar was similar money as well. So I, I think, like... I think he will be better moving forward. He certainly hasn't looked amazing. He looks pretty solid tonight, but yeah, like I wouldn't, 
I don't know, because of their lack of options on the right side, I'd probably keep him. But mm-hmm. now that your response actually was a great segue into the last question. Another one from Ken. He was also asking about expansion draft protection. So we kind of touched on the D already. You know, we talked about Shabbat and Mete and maybe someone else. Um, forwards, okay, the locks seem to be Brady Kachuk, Colin White, Connor Brown, Drake Batherson, um, Nick Paul, and then I guess a couple other spots open. So a couple spots for maybe Dadnov, Logan Brown, Abramov, or like Tierney. I don't know. Who are you taking from that group? Two. Two of them. Well. Hmm. I mean, you never know with Abramov. He might just explode at one point. Like, we saw Hoffman. He didn't actually have a great season in the AHL until his fourth season. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd protect Abramov just because there's a small chance he could be a really good player for Ottawa. I 100% agree with that. I think he probably has the most upside out of anyone. I would say he has more upside than Logan Brown at this point, too. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, Brown has been injured so much. If he wasn't injured, and he Honestly. Was just, and, and if he was just in, in a spot where he wasn't producing as much as we'd hope, I'd still keep him around. But I just, I don't know if it's worth keeping Brown anymore. I think I would try trading him for whatever you can get because, I mean, I like what Ottawa has down the middle without Logan Brown. I mean, they might draft another center in this uh, in 2021, but I mean, next year if they got, um. Norris, White, Pinto, and I mean, I want to say Tierney, but I I prefer Clark Bishop to Chris Tierney on that fourth line. Oh, me too. You know, Bishop's actually been quite solid, like more of an actual fourth liner defensively responsible. Would so. it be insane if they protected Clark Bishop? <laughs> I don't well, think... Well, is he... I don't think it's necessary, but I mean... <laughs> <laughs> no i mean no, well no think about this no. he was on waivers he cleared waivers yeah yeah no no forget forget, forget i said that i just think he's <laughs> been really good on the fourth line so, right, yeah, right five you mentioned abramov and i mean i don't know you can't go wrong with protecting dadanov or, or or brown or I, I guess i can't think of anyone else yeah, there's and no there's not spot. too many. Trade for, trade for someone and protect them, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, that's, that's certainly an option. I think for me, it'd either be Abramov or trade for a guy. So, um, But that was our last question. So thank you for everyone who sent in a question at CP Pointcast on Twitter. But final question for you, Sean. What grade are you giving for Dorian for these smaller moves, including the Mete claim at the deadline? Well, I think the Mete claim was a slam dunk. It was a pretty easy move to make but he still made it i I think he did a good job um i'll give him a somewhere between a b plus and an a minus i don't give him an a minus because um he did what was expected of him trading veteran players for draft picks he traded a few players that i didn't expect a couple i mean i i I did expect good branson and coburn to fetch something of value and you can't be upset with any of the returns he got and the mete claim was also a a good move so i'll give him an a minus because yeah because i think he- i agree I, I that was kind of where i was leaning towards too so that's perfect but um all right well where can people find your work and follow you well i write for silver seven you would know that 
Yep. <laughs> um, uh, my Twitter handle is Sean, S-H-A-A-N underscore F-P-4-L. That's just a nod to my Silver 7 username before I became a writer. I was a community member. I went by the name of Fresh Prince of Fourth Line. I didn't actually know that, but that, that rings a bell now, that's so that's interesting. <laughs> I started commenting on these threads in like 2016, and I was like, yeah, Shane Prince, I like him on the fourth line. <laughs> and then they traded him, and I was like, no! Why oh did they trade And now he's, he's, he's not really doing anything in the NHL, but it's, you know, yeah, I liked him. That's hilarious. Well, okay. Yeah, so definitely go follow Sean there on Twitter and, you know, read his stuff on Silver 7 as well. And it was a pleasure to have you on for the first time. Yeah, yeah, it was a pleasure being on here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, anytime. As I wrap it up, remind it that you can find the Cost for Pointcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. And if you really enjoy it, you can rate and review the podcast on those platforms as well. You can follow me on Twitter at ShackTS, read my articles at Silver7Sends, and also follow my YouTube channel called The Hockey Shack. If you want to submit a listener question for an upcoming episode, send me a message at CP Pointcast on Twitter, where you'll get any updates about the show. Thanks for listening. Adios.